From NBC5 Chicago, this is the Illinois Voters Guide. I'm Phil Rogers. Today, digital producer Shelby Bremer on races you may not know about, but you will definitely want to watch. Shelby Bremer, you are a producer for the NBC5, NBC Chicago website, but really politics is your forte, correct? Yeah. So I started my career um, working at the legislature, the Illinois legislature, um, and I uh, decided that there were some things about that that I didn't really enjoy. And so I chose to move into news. And the thing that I really love is taking that experience, taking um, you know my political knowledge and distilling it for people who don't necessarily follow it that closely and kind of making it easier for people to understand. Well, and some of the very people that you used to associate with are involved in some of the races that we're going to be looking at today. But before we talk about that, you are of the opinion that Illinois is sort of a microcosm for the presidential race. Why do you say that? Yes, so uh, we're seeing a lot of trends happen nationally, particularly in 2018. I would say the biggest trend um, was suburban areas that used to be Republican strongholds are kind of rejecting uh, President Trump, uh, particularly in the 2018 midterms in uh, congressional races and voting Democratic, uh, voting Democratic, which they hadn't done in decades. Um, So you're seeing that, you're seeing cities growing increasingly more Democratic, uh, more liberal, and you're seeing rural areas where, you know, it was competitive for Democrats, you know, very recently becoming less competitive and more Republican. Because Illinois is actually very representative um, relative to other states, representative of the U.S. as a whole, we're seeing that kind of play out in our own backyard on a smaller scale. So a 2016 NPR analysis um, looking at which states should vote first in the primary elections um, based on several demographic factors, uh, mostly looking for the state that is most like the U.S. as a whole. That analysis found that actually Illinois is the the most like the U.S. um, based on racial breakdown. If you look at the U.S. census data, um, our racial breakdown is shockingly similar to the U.S. Um, And if you look at the uh, urban versus rural versus suburban breakdown. We skew a little bit more urban uh, because of Chicago's relative size in proportion to the rest of the state, but that's pretty on track with how the U.S. is as a whole. Cities are growing increasingly more democratic. Uh, President Trump actually won the smallest fraction of the Chicago vote that in decades. He only won 12%. He actually got fewer votes in Chicago than John McCain or Mitt Romney. Now, there are a number of the congressional races that that voters are going to be taking a look at that, of course, congressional races are very local and and the districts are well-defined and very often people don't pay attention to any district except the one they live in. But there are some of these that if for no other reason you think some of these are going to be pretty good theater and, and interesting to watch, even for residents that don't live in those districts. One of those was the 6th District, where the incumbent, Sean Caston is facing off against Jeannie Ives. Yes. Um, so that district was uh, one of the number one targets for Democrats in the 2018 cycle. It was represented by Peter Roskam for uh, a very long time, and before him, Henry Hyde of the Hyde Amendment banning um, federal funding for abortion. So it's a conservative area, predominantly in DuPage County. So Sean Caston, 
uh, was able to win that seat in 2018 after Hillary Clinton won the district, but Peter Roskin kept his seat in 2016. She won that district by three points. So Democrats looked at that 2016 election result and said, we can win this seat. Sean Caston won the seat. That's almost unheard of in DuPage County um, that that has been just such a Republican stronghold. Um, So two years later, he's running to defend that seat after his first term. And a lot of the political forecasters don't really even see that as one of the most competitive seats in the country. It, It looks like he's going to be able to hold on to that seat just because of the trends of suburban districts moving away from the Republican Party, particularly as they grow, uh, as the suburbs grow denser and more diverse and more educated. And we should note that Jeannie Ives, like many of the challengers in in this election, this is not her first rodeo either. So she's a familiar face in Illinois politics, certainly. Um, She's kind of known as a conservative firebrand. She was in the Illinois House for several years. um, And her, at the same time, Sean Caston was running to, um, to win that seat. She was actually mounting a primary challenge against the incumbent Republican governor, Bruce Rauner, um, from the right. She only lost by a very small margin, which was shocking considering he was the incumbent governor and he was, uh, if not a billionaire, very close to it, funneling millions and millions of dollars into his own campaign. And she lost by the slimmest of margins, but she actually beat him in her home turf of DuPage County. So she's a familiar name there, um, and she's been in that area for a long time. So it'll be interesting to see whether DuPage County backs her or continues to support the first Democrat to hold that seat in decades. Now, there are 23 House rematches in the United States this year for congressional seats. In other words, 23 races in the United States where the same candidates are facing off that faced off two years ago. And one of those is in the 13th District, which is in central Illinois. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that is uh, Rodney Davis and uh, Betsy Londrigan. Rodney Davis is seeking a fifth term. And Betsy Londrigan challenged him in 2018, and she actually lost by about 2,000 votes. Um, So a very slim margin, particularly for central Illinois. Um, One thing that's really interesting about that race is that uh, that district has a dozen colleges. Um, It's got the University of Illinois, the University of Illinois uh, at Urbana-Champaign, Uh, University of Illinois at Springfield, Southern Illinois University, Illinois State University. And I know that uh, Betsy Londrigan was campaigning at a lot of those colleges. Uh, She brought Dick Durbin to the U of I and really ran up the score in those college towns. Um, I I don't have a demographic demographic breakdown of if it was students or people associated with the university or who it was, but those were her strongholds. With the coronavirus pandemic and completely upending in-person events and college life in general, will she be able to run up the score in that area, in those areas Um, again? It remains to be seen. Well, and and again, the important thing we should note there, and you you mentioned this, Davis received 50.4% of the vote in that district two years ago. Londrigan, 49.6%. Uh, it, it was just razor thin uh, th- that he won that election. It was a total of 2,058 votes. Uh, divide that by all of the college campuses. That's, you know, a couple hundred votes each college campus. That could really swing the race. 
Well, and, and I think that the real key there is what we are expecting in this race this year, as opposed to two years ago, is, of course, in a presidential turnout, you're going to have a lot more people voting. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, those rural areas um, in the district are a big part of it, too. So, you know, you're seeing kind of the similar polarization that's happening in that district in Illinois and across the country. Now, we spoke of familiar names. In the 14th district, Lauren Underwood, who, who was the, the new congressman in that district two years ago, versus Jim Oberweiss, who has run and run and run in Illinois. <laughs> he is, I would say, the epitome of a perennial candidate. If you don't know him for his dairy products, I'm sure you know him because he's been on just about every ballot. Yeah, in fact, uh, Oberweiss has run for Senate in Illinois multiple times, U.S. Senate. He ran for governor in 2006. And for this same 14th district seat in 2008, we should mention that he is currently an Illinois state senator in the 25th district since 2013. He did win that election. Uh, But uh, just what are the dynamics there? That district um, is the northwest suburbs, predominantly. um, And it voted for Trump by three points in 2016. Uh, Lauren Underwood was the challenger to a longtime Republican incumbent uh, in 2018, and she actually pulled off a victory. Um, She uh, is the first woman, the first African-American, and the first millennial to ever represent the majority white district. And she's actually also the youngest black woman to ever serve in the House. She's really emphasized her, I would say her biggest um, accomplishment that she talks about a lot, um, you can see it all over her website and in her campaign messaging, is a bill that she passed that uh, President Trump signed to lower insulin prices. So she is not really kind of flocking with the progressive wing of the party. She is striking a more moderate tone to suit her district. Well, and that district, it's not a shoe in as just a, quote, democratic district. I mean, it's probably oh, more certainly. conservative than anything you're going to see in the city of Chicago. And that was Dennis Hastert's district. Um, and then after that, it was Randy Holtgren. So that's been a Republican stronghold for decades. Um, and she, so President Trump won it by four points, which was down from Mitt Romney's 10 point margin in the district. Uh, but that's still a victory. And so if, will we see uh, Republic, Republicans come out in stronger force in 2020 to support the president now that he's on the ballot, it remains to be seen. I want to look at one other race here that, that you mentioned, which is probably one of the strangest, and that is the third congressional district, where Marie Newman defeated the incumbent congressman Dan Lipinski in the primary. She did. And that was actually another one of those rematches. She ran against Dan Lipinski in 2018 um, from the left. Dan Lipinski is one of the most conservative House Democrats. Um, He voted against the Affordable Care Act. He um, is uh, anti-abortion. And Marie Newman jumped into the race against him in 2018 and lost by, again, a razor thin margin um, and took a second bite of the apple in 2020 and actually beat him. So for the first time, Dan Lipinski actually took that seat over from his father. So for the first time in nearly 30 years, that's going to be a district that's represented by someone whose last name is not Lipinski. Now, the challenger in this, and we, in fact, we should back up a little bit, not just from the challenger, but for the entire Republican primary, that was kind of a colorful race, too. 
Certainly. Yeah. This is one of the most interesting primary seasons on both sides. Um, so last cycle in 2018, the Republican challenger to Dan Lipinski was a man by the name of Art Jones, who was a former leader of the Nazi party. Uh, I believe it's the American Nazi party. Um, uh, but he is, a, a Holocaust denier and he actually ran unopposed for the Republican nomination in 2018 and got on the ballot. Um, he ran again this time in 2020 and he was actually defeated by a man named Mike Frisalone, who is a member of the Will County Board. Um, and so he won, Frisalone won the Republican nomination. So it'll be Newman facing Frisalone. And um, it's really interesting because Frisalone, he praises Lipinski. He says Lipinski is, you know, a moderate who reaches across the aisle. And in doing so, he's attacking Marie Newman for being too leftist. Um, Newman does support the Green New Deal. She does support Medicare for All. She's She's kind of she was one of the most high profile progressive challengers of the 2018 and the 2020 cycle. So she's kind of this progressive darling. Um, and what'll be interesting is, you know, she's expected to win. Um, that district is sent a Democrat to Congress for 30 years. Um, so she's expected to win. Is she going to hold those same policies once she is in office? Um, you know, and uh, kind of going back to first alone, he paints her as too extreme. He calls her a socialist, you know, radical left, all of, kind of those those attacks. So in, in essence, Frisalone is sort of uh, sending out a dog whistle there to the old Lipinski crowd, uh, basically saying, I'm really the true heir to this district, uh, not the more, quote, extreme candidate. Certainly, certainly. And the interesting thing there also, which I think bears repeating, is that Bill Lipinski was a was a soldier of the Chicago Democratic Organization. He blessed his son with the seat. Uh, you would think that the Lipinski organization could keep carrying that that mantle for for decades, but yet Dan Lipinski was defeated. Yeah, I mean, he was one of the last kind of vestiges of the the old machine, and um, you know, I think that's why he won in twenty eighteen, why he defeated Newman. Um, that again was a, a margin of two thousand votes between the two of them in a primary, um, and. So she, that also became one of the more expensive primary challenges. Um, there was money pouring in on both sides. Um, and it happened again in 2020. So I, it's, it's kind of a changing of the guard. Let's segue to a couple of candidates that are certainly from a colorful end of the political spectrum. And that is, uh, we have seen QAnon rear its head here in Illinois with two candidates, neither of which are necessarily claiming QAnon, but they do have some support. At Trump rallies nationwide, the Q pops up in a sea of campaign signs. It stands for QAnon and a long list of false, outlandish, and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories that big-name Democrats, celebrities, and the mega-rich are child-trafficking pedophiles who kill children and drink their blood in a satanic ritual. The FBI actually in 2019 in a uh, declassified memo identified QAnon as one of the dangerous conspiracy theories that's likely to motivate domestic extremists to political violence. Um, and that's actually, we've seen several incidents pop up, um, you know, of, of uh, violent incidents or crime. In 2017, a North Carolina man went to prison after firing a gun in a D.C. pizza restaurant looking for the alleged pedophile cult and Internet lie. 
In 2018, a suspect in an armored car tried to block traffic on the Hoover Dam. And followers routinely swamp child trafficking hotlines with bogus internet rumors using the hashtag #SaveTheChildren. These conspiracy theories kind of latched onto coronavirus conspiracy theories and spread like wildfire through social media platforms that really didn't regulate it at first. Um, I believe there's about 80 candidates who have promoted or supported QAnon openly who ran for office this year. Um, so two of them are in Illinois. Uh, one of them is Teresa Rayborn, who is running against Robin Kelly in the first in the second district. Um, and the other is Philonese White, who's running against Bobby Rush in the first district. So those are Democratic strongholds. They are not going to win. Teresa Rayborn and Philonese White will not win. Um, but Philonese White has actually tweeted um, a hashtag commonly known to QAnon supporters in the QAnon community. Um, and Teresa Rayborn has, uh, she retweeted a video of General Michael Flynn, the former Trump advisor, doing what is called taking the oath. And that's a QAnon thing where they, you know, recite an oath and then, um, you know, say a phrase. And she retweeted it. Um, and she's posted several conspiracy theories um, on social media about, um, you know, George Soros, Jeffrey Epstein, um, the coronavirus, a, a lot of a lot of issues there. Um, so I reached out actually to both campaigns and I asked, um, you know, why they've promoted QAnon. I've asked, you know, do you believe in some of these theories? And uh, Teresa Rayborn reached, uh, responded, and she said, uh, I shared that video of Michael Flynn because I found it patriotic, especially since it was from a highly respected general. I do not know much about QAnon, only what I overhear others say. I am a homeschooling mom and a congressional nominee that does not lend much time to researching QAnon. Since I do not know much about it, I do not feel comfortable formulating an opinion one way or the, way or the other regarding QAnon. I have stated this to numerous reporters, then they print whatever they want and misquote me. So I, my follow-up question was, well, if you've been asked about this um, by multiple reporters and you are a congressional nominee, why haven't you researched it? Um, you know, if how can you expect voters in this district to expect that you would be able to represent them on this issue or other issues if you say that you don't have the time to research it? And she said, um, she kind of pivoted and wanted to talk about Antifa, which is which stands for anti-fascist. It's kind of an ideology and a loose network of people who are who proclaimed to be fighting right-wing um, violence. Uh, she pivoted to Antifa and said that the theme that she's heard most among QAnon followers is, quote, do your own research. Antifa, on the other hand, she says, demands absolute loyalty and that you adhere to their opinions or suffer violent attacks. Those are two completely different things. Which sounds more dangerous to you? Someone who demands allegiance and conformity, Antifa, or someone who encourages you to do your own research, QAnon. If QAnon is just a conspiracy theory, why not ignore it like reporters have done in the past with other conspiracy theories? Uh, why focus on a bunch of people doing their own research while ignoring the people who are looting, rioting, destroying businesses, and burning down our cities? She's not disavowing it. She's, in fact, defending them. Yeah. Um, I mean, she cites... She says, uh, without any sort of 
evidence that Antifa has over a dozen murder victor victims and dozens more people with traumatic brain injuries from being attacked by Antifa. Um, you know, she asked, she said, here's a question for you as a reporter. If QAnon is a dangerous conspiracy theory, why aren't you focusing on finding out who this mysterious Q is? It seems that once you locate Q, all questions will be answered. That would be the easiest way to debunk it. Or since, from what I have read in the papers, President Trump is supposedly uh, connected to Q, just ask the president directly. The president has been asked about Q. Well, I don't know much about the movement other than I understand they like me very much. Um, I also reached out actually to the Illinois Republican Party just to see, you know, if they support QAnon, if they support candidates who support QAnon or have promoted QAnon. Um, and a spokesman for the Illinois Republican Party told me, no, we don't support QAnon. So my follow-up question was, are you supporting these candidates? And he didn't respond. So it's not an explicit denunciation of these candidates, but they're, they're still on the ballot under the Republican Party. Well, once again, this is what we've seen on the national level as well, not just with QAnon, but with other fringe groups, and that is nobody wants to disavow them because they don't want to lose their support. Exactly. You have compiled this and so many other races and so much more information into a guidebook online. If, if listeners want to go to the NBCChicago.com website, what will they find? So every election cycle, we put together an Illinois voter guide, and that has uh, a look at all of these races and so much more, kind of the background that you need to know. Um, you can put in your address and see who's going to be on your ballot. You ha can find uh, all of the early voting locations in uh, the 11 counties in Chicago, Cook County, and 10 other counties sur surrounding Chicago, um, as well as the times that they'll be open. This year, since voting by mail is such um, a big factor in voting. Um, you can find all of the places in those same 11 counties where you can drop your ballot off rather than um, put it back in the mail. So if you want to hand deliver your ballot, um, we have all of those locations, all of the referendum questions that you might see on your ballot, um, and uh, plenty more resources just to help you feel informed and um, to help you get to the polls or, or cast your ballot. I want to ask you before we go, you watch the traffic. You see what people are clicking on on the website. Are the voters engaged? Oh, definitely. Um, so we've seen actually a lot of search, tra search traffic for early voting and where to drop your uh, mail-in ballot, uh, as well as several of these uh, congressional races. Um, one area that voters are really interested in is the statewide referendum on uh, the constitutional amendment uh, to change Illinois from a flat tax to a graduated tax um, you know, on, it's on every ballot in Illinois, and I think people are seeing kind of the legalese of the amendment and trying to search to figure out what exactly it means and uh, how they should vote. And we've got a full breakdown of that amendment and what that means um, on our in our voters' guide as well. Um, I actually have one more thing that I think you might find interesting. Yeah, please. So when and when we're talking about this reordering, I did a little bit of research. Um, and in talking about how Chicago has grown more democratic over the years. So I looked at every level of government and if Joe Biden does win um, and if the last remaining Republican to represent 
a piece of Chicago in the state house loses, then the entire city of Chicago minus one small portion of Edison Park and Norwood Park will be entirely represented at all levels of government by Democrats or nonpartisan as the city council is. So I just find that really interesting. That if you live in Chicago, there might not be any Republicans representing you at any levels of government. Anywhere, all the way to the White House. Right. If I mean, if Joe Biden wins, every single Illinois state senator, every single state representative um, that represents any di- any district that touches Chicago are all Democrats except for the one Republican left. And that was kind of a gentleman's agreement between um, Speaker of the House Mike Madigan and uh, that longtime Republican who represented it, uh, Mike McAuliffe, who took it over from his father. Um, if the Republican can't, the Republican who holds that office now loses in, in uh, 2020, that the entire city of Chicago will be Democratic in both the state Senate and the state house. Uh, city council is nonpartisan and uh, the Cook County board of commissioners. There are two commissioners who are Republicans who have small pieces of Chicago. So you've got that Edison park, Norwood park area is represented by a Republican and then O'Hare. Uh, but other than that, every other commissioner is a Democrat. Shelby Bremer, thank you very much. Good luck. I imagine after November 3rd or maybe two weeks after November 3rd, maybe you can finally get some rest. (laughs) Here's hoping. (laughs) Thank you, Phil. This was a pleasure. This has been the Illinois Voters Guide, your source for news on Decision 2020. With producer Shelby Bremer from NBCChicago.com, I'm Phil Rogers.